welcome to All Things Eerie. I'm your host, Kathy, and I am coming to you from my kitchen this week. Um, kind of doing double duty, um, running a little bit behind. Uh, so if you hear anything in the background, like beeps and stuff like that, I do apologize. Uh, with Christmas coming up, I took a couple of weeks off mainly to spend some time with some family and friends and things like that. Um, it's a little hard uh, when you're doing podcasts by yourself, when you're doing all the research and things like things of that nature. And I really want to make sure I'm spending time with my family and um, making sure that um, I'm not um, – putting things second that should be put before everything else. Um, just to get a couple things out of the way, uh, we're now on Spotify. Uh, the episodes are listed, not our podcast itself. So if you go onto podbean.com and you prefer to go into Spotify, you can look at the <clears throat> episodes that are listed. I know it's a little bit long ways around, but anyways, just to let you know that those are listed, same as always, you can go onto our Facebook page, fb.me forward slash at all things eerie, eerie with three E's. You can leave us a message at m.me forward slash all things eerie. And again, that's eerie with three E's. And like I said, this is the week of Christmas that this is being recorded. And I don't know about anybody else, but um, I have fallen a bit behind with Christmas, um, like many people who work and do all kinds of things. Uh, Christmas is usually the one that I'm on top of, but this year my partner was the one that was... Um, done with his gifts, wrapped and ready to go before I was, which never happens. Um, I, I don't know if anybody else has been like that. Uh, you can leave me a message and let me know how your Christmas week has been going. There's only three more days until Christmas, and um, I know for my own personal um, sanity this year has been just one that I am so ready to leave behind. Um, for anybody else, uh, if you really want to, go on the page and put down what you are lo most looking forward to in the new year. I know I am looking forward to the spring and the summer. The winters here in Erie are sometimes a bit harsh. I don't mind them. Um, I'm a bit of a homebody anyways, but I, uh, I am not one for being out outside that much only because of, you know, being able to breathe out in the wintertime is not as uh, easy for me. So, um, but I know I'm definitely looking forward to the new year and hopefully better things uh, to come in the new year. Um, but on to the uh, episode. Uh, this will be episode seven. And it is about uh, angels and demons. And we're going to talk about demons first and or the devil, and um, whether or not you can actually make a deal with them. And um, while I was researching this, I was watching football, and it happened to be the Patriots game. And whether or not you're a Patriots fan or not, uh, you got to give them credit where credit's due, and I do give them credit because they are a good team. Um, I always joke around and say that Belichick had to have made a deal with the devil uh, because there, there are things that happen and they get uh, 
they always seem to get right out of it. Um, but the thing of it is, is that this year they're not doing as well. And I don't know if it's because Gronkowski isn't, isn't there. And, um, you know, and like I said, I, I joke that, you know, that Belichick made a, you know, a deal with the devil. Um, and that, you know, some of the calls that he makes and, you know, you know, that he, he should not have, he should not have been able to, uh, get away with it. And since, since I started that research, they actually got caught cheating. Um, one of their people went in to take pictures, which I didn't know they were allowed to do that. And he, he got caught, uh, taking pictures of the other team's sideline because I think it was the Bengals that he was, he was there on. So, you know, so I mean, they, people joke around and say that they, that they do cheat and stuff like that. And, you know, the huge Patriot fans are like, Oh, no, 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 no. But this time they actually got caught cheating. So, but anyways, I digress. You know, that's, that's always been my joke about the Patriots that, you know, that Belichick made a, you know, a deal with the devil. Um, but the question is, can you really sell your soul? And what would your soul be worth to you? Uh, you know, I, I know I have often thought that, um, there's no way on earth that, that I personally would sell my soul. But we're not talking about this on this, about this plane of existence. Though throughout history, um, there's been stories of people selling their soul. But what did they get for it? And where will they go afterwards besides hell? And, um, and there are several stories of people in history who have claimed to have made a pact with the devil. Um, here, the, the first one is uh, Johann Georges Frost. Uh, he lived in, um, he was born in 1480 and he died in 1540. Um, and he was also the basis of, uh, for uh, Marlowe's classic, The Tragical History of Dr. Faustus. Uh, and Faust, uh, and Gothis Faust, the real Dr. Faust, was a, uh, an alchemist, an astrologer, and a, uh, German Renaissance magician. According to the legend and literature, Faust summoned the devil to make a deal so he could experience life's pleasures, but he ended up regretting the pact and withdrawing. Uh, leading to his own destruction. And there were no actual basic pa uh, packs left behind with the real Dr. Faust. But would there be? He did die in an explosion resulting from an alchemic, uh, a chemical explosion. So he must, uh, you know, working in his chemistry lab. Uh, the next one was uh, Father... Urban Brandier. Uh, he was uh, born in 1590 and he died in 1634. And he was uh, a, a Roman Catholic priest. And he wasn't the first one and he wasn't the last one either. He served in uh, the London area of France, but apparently could not keep to his celibacy. Vow. And again, he wasn't the first one. Um, if you've ever heard of the family Orjas, uh, Grandier made such a reputation in his sexual relations with women as being a philanderer with an elevated sense of lustful depravity. <clears throat> in 1632, he was accused of bewitching a group of local uh, Uraline nuns by sending demands to commit evil acts with them and so turn them into his sex slaves. Father Urban was tortured by judges, 
that's when his contract was found. Um, so, I mean, think about it. You are being tortured about to give up your, um, you know, they're saying you are, uh, you made a pact with the devil. You need to give up, tell us the truth. And, you know, of course, if you're tortured long enough, you're going to do whatever they tell you to. He was in the end convicted of witchcraft and burned at the stake. Again, that's not unheard of. And then there's Giuseppe Tartini. He was born in 1692 and died in 1770. And uh, he wrote The Devil's Sonata. Giuseppe was a composer and violinist. Excuse me, and very influential in Italy and internationally, but was infamous for his hot temper. And he had an inferiority complex, which, you know, some people who um, have, a, you know, that do these kind of things usually do have some kind of inferiority complex because they're they're really good at what they do. And that's it. That's they're not going to do anything else. Um, anyways, um, the story goes, Giuseppe overheard someone playing the violin better than him, which sent him into a depression that he would spend 12 hours practicing. At this time, he had a dream in which the devil appeared and offered him success for his soul, which, again, not unheard of where the devil played a sonata and he uh, when Giuseppe awoke he uh, immediately wrote it down to make sure he got it right but he could not play to the standards that the devil had played in the dream Giuseppe supposedly said that his version of the sonata so inferior to what and this is him being quoted so inferior to what I had heard that if I could have subsisted on other means, I would have broken my violin and abandoned music forever. Now, some people think, did the devil give Giuseppe the skill and fame he desired only to rob him of the ability to play it to his full, to the full potential? Meaning that, because the devil played it so well and so beautifully that he knew that Giuseppe would never be able to play it as well as he did. And even though everybody claimed that the sonata was wonderfully done and so and Giuseppe played it masterfully, it wasn't up to Giuseppe's standards for himself. Because he heard the devil play it and he knew how it should sound, but nobody else did. Only Giuseppe did. That it basically drew, drove him insane. And then there's Delphine LaLaurie. La and some of you might be familiar with this because of the TV show American Horror Story. Uh, they, they did a, a, a season about LaLaurie. And uh, born Marie Delphine McCarty, um, LaLaurie uh, was a New Orleans Creole social, socialite, and she was also a serial killer um, of the human slaves in her employ. What she's most infamous for is after 1834 fire at her Royal Street mansion that led to the discovery of bound and mutilated slaves. Now, in the American Horror Story show, uh, what they showed on there, I mean, she she did horrible things to her slaves, her and her husband. Her husband was a doctor and they and they would practice horrible experiments on these slaves. But she would do it to just be downright horrid. Um, LaLaurie was able to escape to France and she left behind 
enough of a scandal that rumors spread about her voodoo and black magic, as well as the pact with the devil. She must decide to accrue wealth while committing such atrocities. It had nothing to do with the fact that her husband was a doctor. And if I'm not mistaken, I do believe that uh, her father was also quite wealthy um, prior to that. And that's where some of her money came from. Um, and then there's Robert Johnson. Johnson is some say the father of American blues and is ranked number five on the Rolling Stones list of all time greatest guitarist. However, many close to Johnson were astounded when he went from someone with no musical talent in high school to a skilled musician later on. Now, according to Johnson at 18, he had become utterly dejected. He claimed that in a, a haze of disappointment and depression, he had walked off Excuse me. He walked off in his thoughts and come to a strange crossroads that he said he met the devil himself. Now, that's what he would tell people. OK, and he just let the story go on. And, you know, he would he said that he walked to the crossroads where the devil offered him talent for his soul. When uh, Johnson agreed, the devil tuned his guitar, allowing him to go on to produce six records before his death at the young age of 27. Allusions to his uh, pact can be found in several of, jo uh, of Johnson's own songs, including uh, Crossroad Blues, often called just Crossroads, and Me and the Devil's Blues, and because of the age that Johnson died, which is 27. That in itself carries with it its own mystery, because <clears throat> some say a curse, an oddly high number of famous musicians have died at this age, including Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, and Kurt, Combe Kurt Cobain. Now, I don't know about Mr. Johnson, but those other names that I mentioned, they also were heavy into drugs. So that being said, it's hard to say what really killed, you know, if there was a pact or a curse with the age of 27. You know, I mean, there, there, is, there is something to say, you know, about, you know, did they also make a pact with the devil? Because the uh, Kurt Cobain one, you know, there's also the one about, you know, a lot of people uh, say that it was, you know, a conspiracy with his wife, who is also a um, an artist in her own right. So but that's a whole other story. So that being said, there are people who have wanted wealth, power or both who have supposedly supposedly made deals with the devil. British military and political leader and revolutionary Oliver Cromwell, who was born in 1599 and died in 1658, who was a very controversial figure in British history, which it, uh, it comes down to some of the laws that we have here in the U.S. Uh, are based off of both the, that's um, where we get the Commonwealth from here in Pennsylvania, and uh, there in Britain, uh, when the monarchy was reestablished, um, that being said, Cromwell, um, who would have uh, had his son inherit after him, could not do so because he was a very weak individual. So the um, Charles II inherited or was put back on the throne. But that being said, getting back to Oliver Cromwell, he was known for his brutal, bloody methods and uh, efficiency on the battlefield, as well as his extremely aggressive stance on foreign policy. He is probably most famous, most famous for his effort to lead a revolt against the monarchy to turn Britain into a republic, as well as his storming of the Irish town. Now I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this name, Drogheda, Drogheda. 
and its subsequent bloody massacre. The question of whether Cromwell was a hero or a villain is still debated to this day, but he was certainly hated enough by many that when he died in 1658 of malaria, royalists dug up his corpse, which had been given a very expensive and opulent burial, which, going back to one of the reasons why uh, Cromwell was upset with the royal uh, family was because of some of the money they spent. And that just doesn't make sense if that's, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, why would you have yourself buried like you did? Anyways, the people defiled it and they defiled his corpse and had it hanging in chains and beheaded it. Throughout his career, Cromwell was linked to the devil. He often de he was often depicted with horns in newspapers. So when his so so with his rise to power, he had no previous military experience. People believed he had made a deal with the devil, and those who really did believe this used the example of a great raging storm that came roaring in on the day of Cromwell's death, which was referred to as Oliver's Wind, and say that the devil came forth to claim his soul. Some even report of the storm that it visibly toppled trees as if the devil stomped through, and parents currently use this to their advantage. They would tell their children that Cromwell would crawl straight up from hell to get them and drag them to the fiery abyss if they behave, <clears throat> if they misbehaved, which, you know, goes for, you know, so much for, you know, wait till your father gets home kind of deal. And how do you make a deal, you know, we, which takes us into how would you make a deal with the devil? How would he even know that you wanted to in the first place? Do you just have to go to the chance of, uh, do you go to the make chance of right crossroads? Um, you wait for him to come along or, um, is it, is it even, is it even the devil or is it just one of his many demons? <clears throat> that would be sent to make the deal so they could uh, collect as many souls as possible. So, and then that, then the question is, which crossroads do you have to go to? Uh, like I said before, can it be any? Obviously, there have been several deals made, both in the old world, meaning Europe, and then here in the new world. It's said that a pact can be, can be made orally or written, oral by the means of invocation, conjunctures, uh, conjur conjurations, or rituals to attract a demon. Once they are present, you ask for the wanted favor and offers his or her soul in exchange, and no evidence is left of the pact. Kind of, sort of. During the Salem witch trials, even the oral pact left evidence a witch's mark, an indelible mark, where the marked person had been touched by the devil to seal the pact, which we all know how the Salem witch trial turned out. So, and those folks all turned out to be um, innocent. A written pact cons uh, consists in the same forms of acting, of attracting the demon, but includes a written act usually signed in the conjurer's blood, although some say the whole thing had to be written in blood, but some say using red ink instead of blood, and others say using animal blood instead of human blood. So really, there's no set way to actually call forth a devil or a demon. Um, I guess it really depends on how much, you know, which, which form and I'm using air quotes at this point, um, you want to use.
I'm going to bring up one of my favorite shows, and that's Supernatural, because they all use, um, you know, Sam and Dean have dealt with quote-unquote demons in their in their many uh, episodes of Supernatural. It started with Yellow Eyes, who killed Sam and Dean's mom, for whom we would not have the entire season or series for because their mom had not been killed. Their dad would never have found out about them, about monsters, which spoiler spoiler alert for those who have not seen the series yet. Um, if you have not seen the series yet, please, by all means, go watch it, which would not have which he would not have trained to become a hunter for, which in turn would, you know, Sam and Dean would not have turned into the hunters they uh, that they turned out for. Also, then you have Ruby, the lovely Ruby, the things that she did in her past, which she was a witch, if I'm not mistaken. I and mean, she signed a pact with the devil to be a witch. The uh, To the things that she got Sam to do, which worked out for them in the end because of Lilith. And let's not forget everyone's all-time favorite, Crowley, which he was one of my favorites because of his sarcasm. The King of Hell, the demon who could give lessons in sarcasm, which he did. And we actually loved him for it. You had, then there's the multitude of demons along the way that met their ending, either with a knife that Sam and Dean were able to get from Ruby or the colt that was eventually stolen. But again, this is to fantasy as many times as these characters sold their souls and broke deals. You would have thought no demon would have dealt with them off limits, but uh, no. And that's what kept the fans coming back for kept the fans coming back for more and and possibly perpetuating the myth of making a deal with the devil. But I have to admit, I admit the best. Uh, deal of all was when the uh, Leviathan was making a deal with Crowley. He, the Leviathan, actually went through the contract line by line, crossing things out and rewriting the verbiage <clears throat> as if the devil would let you do that. He would, uh, to me, I would think the devil would just dangle the contract in front of you and it would pretty much be if you. If you want it, you sign it. Uh, there's no uh, reading it. You, This is what you asked for. This is what I'm giving you. Um, you got this amount of time. If not, I'm out. So, I mean, to me, that's what a deal with a demon and or the devil would be like. But like I said, the, the season where they had the Leviathan and stuff like that, and his name was Dick Roman. Freaking hilarious because everything the 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 joke in the in that season was dick. Everything was dick. It was hilarious. But getting back onto the subject of making a deal with a demon, there's some research that says that it's not possible to make a deal with the devil, not because he's not real, but because one, uh, the devil is a liar, which we we know that. Uh, he will take what's true and twist it to to corrupt and destroy human beings. And anyone who deals with him basically is a fool, which, again, we know. Two, while he does have some power, his is not absolute. Only God is. And please excuse me. I have to unroll some Reynolds wrap here to put cookies on. Anyways, the Bible presents his power as as bringing pain and destruction and and corruption, which makes sense. Yes, because he's the devil. He brings death and destruction along with any fleeting success. I mean, think Oliver Cromwell. He um, he was a one time ruler. His son was not worth keeping around. They deposed him as quickly as as soon as the father died, gone, brought back the monarchy. That I mean, that's just an example. It will only endure for a season, for a season. Again, 
Oliver Cromwell. I mean, he made really the only thing I can tell you is get out your history book. I mean, seriously, if you did not learn about um, if you did not learn about Oliver Cromwell in history class, I would just Google it. Just Google what what happened. I mean, it's just it's super interesting. Anyways. Satan cannot own human souls. All souls belong to God who created them. Ezekiel 18.4. Okay. Hell is not Satan's kingdom. And according to God, all human souls are bound for hell. That makes me feel so much better. As we stand condemned already, John 3.18 Without some change, of course, our souls will end up in hell anyway. The one we need to make a deal with is God. We need him to save our souls. But what do we have that he would want? Even all the religious observances are futile. So do we or do we not go to church? That's the question. And that's from Isaiah 1:11. But God does love us and has offered us unilateral bargain. Quote unquote. He will save our souls, give us everything we want for eternity in exchange for faith in his son. So faith in his son, meaning do we just believe in him or do we have to follow his faith? Okay. And that's Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And that's if you want to read more about that pact. And that's one way to look at it in a very nice way. So if you want to go that route, the devil actually has no power. So are all stories that were written down over the years wrong? Were the people like the composers just people with schizophrenia? And because they were there was no such diagnosis back then, people thought they had made a deal with a demon or the devil himself. Then there's the notion of those that said they spoke to angels or to God himself. Were they or were they not or were they too suffering from such mental illness, such as schizophrenia? Which could be the case in some instances. The person may speak in different voices and act in bizarre ways. One minute they could be nice, calm, normal individual and the next they could rage and foam at the mouth and speak in an entirely different voice blaspheming God, and then it takes us on to exorcism. Because if you're dealing with the devil, then that means you're willing to take on demons and bring a demon into your into your body. And an exorcism is commanding the name of uh, is is commanding in the name of Jesus and uh, a demon to come out of an individual house or wherever the demon is an exorcism is accomplished by the spoken word through the power of the Holy Spirit. The person who's doing the exorcism should be filled with God's spirit, should not have any unsurrendered um, sin in their life because demons will take advantage of any weakness. And that's in Acts 19, 13 through 16. Another word of caution, people should not go out looking for demons or make up demons where they do not exist. Um, me personally, I would not want to go to an exorcism. I would feel completely horrid if something should happen. And then this was an example from the Bible of an exorcism. This is from Matthew 17, 14 through 18. When they came to a crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Now, while I was reading about demons being exercised, one of the things is, and it was when Jesus, when Jesus himself exercises a demon from someone, it said that when Jesus exercised a demon from someone's body, he also 
tells them that that particular demon cannot re-enter that body. However, he also cleanses that body. But because that body is so cleansed, a demon, a demon can re-enter that body. But it's not just one demon. It's seven demons. And they can they can re-enter the body and re and wreak havoc. So that was that was in that research. So if you plan to make a deal with the devil, um, my suggestion would be not to. Um, I would uh, highly suggest that you don't go looking for demon possession. Um, if you, if you do plan on playing around with that, or if you feel that somebody is possessed by a demon, um, make sure that they are medically cleared. Um, and it's not schizophrenia. Um, that's just my suggestion. Um, that being said, um, I went on to research if somebody can be possessed by an angel. And the answer is yes. Believe it or not, you can be possessed by an angel. And it's not just because of what I saw in Supernatural. And yes, I am going to refer to that because there really isn't much that you can find out there. And on the research that I did see, which there was some, However, it says an angel can only uh, possess a human if it's ordered to them by God. Without God's will, they cannot and would not. Also, unlike demons, angels of God respect the will, the will of mankind where the demonic do not, which that is seen in um Amongst when you see it in movies and stuff like that, you do you do see that where angels will not they will not possess somebody if that person does not give their their permission. Uh, If an angel were to take possession of a human without the consent of God's will or the human, it would be an offense against God. Therefore, the angel, they, the angel would never do it. This is how it was explained. Demons, demons themselves. This is the first time I've heard this. I always thought demons were the souls of people who had done something horrible on earth and that eventually they they had been in hell so long that that is kind of where they progressed to. But in this research, it's explained that demons are that demons are angels, that they are the fallen angels, that they themselves have power that they didn't lose any of their original powers or that they are lesser beings. It's, it just refers that to their state of grace. They are no longer receptive to God's grace. So they have literally fallen from grace. They just use their powers for nefarious purposes. They even still retain their rank. Um, in heaven, the angels were so organized by rank in regards to their powers and duties to God. In hell, they are organized very much the same, very much like the military with clearly defined and and sit defined and and hierarchy. Um, and there are there are some books that you can read if you want to read more about it. Um, there's one that is called Interview with an Exorcist, an insider's look at the Devil, Demonic Possession, and the Path to Deliverance. And that's by Father Jose Antonio Fortilla. And he explains the history and state of the demonic. Now, he in here, it explains what is a demon. A demon is a spiritual being of, of angelic nature that has been condemned for eternity due to their rebellion against God. As pure spirits, demons are not made of matter. Because they do not have bodies, demons cannot commit any sin of the flesh, i.e. lust or gluttony. So for them to actually feel the, uh, for them to have, to, uh, for them to be able to do that, to, uh, 
to be able to commit those sins uh, are um, the sins of demons are exclusively spiritual. They can tempt humans to sin in matters of the flesh. They would actually have to possess a human to be able to commit those sins, but they themselves cannot feel anything. Demons were not created evil. God himself, who is goodness, is impossible to create anything evil. Remember that demons are bad angels. Now, again, this is what research is, has said. And there was plenty of places that said that, that the demons themselves were the fallen angels. So after God created the angels, he tested their fidelity to him before admitting them to the beatific vision, the sight of his very essence. This scene, quote unquote scene of God's essence would be purely intellectual vision. Some obeyed, others did not. Those who didn't were transformed into demons. Demons saw God as the oppressor to their freedom. Hate was born as their wills resisted the call of God's grace. I'm sorry, the call of God. Now, this is when war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon, his angels fought. But they were defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Revelations 12, 7 through 9. How can purely spiritual beings fight among themselves? What weapons do they use? Since angels are spirits, wouldn't they battle? Wouldn't their battles be purely intellectual? The only weapons that they can use are intellectual arguments. Again, this is this is in this research. The angels gave reasons to the rebels for why they should return to obedience to God. And the rebels, rebel angels countered with their reasons. Now, some came back. Obviously, some did not. In art, demons are be are portrayed as grotesque since they have chosen their destiny far from God. But some are also um, because they're so far from God, the farther away from God they are, the more grotesque they are. They said even how they described it. Uh, some are grotesque because of their battle wounds. It's 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 kind of like a fine line there, because when you're looking at it, it's like, OK, if they're grotesque because the farther farther they are from God's grace. But if they're spiritual beings, they should not have a form of body. But uh, looking upon the good angel, people do not understand that they are not sweet little cherubs on Valentine Valentine's Day cards. When you're looking when when you're a little kid and you're reading the Bible, you read about certain things. You don't you're not you're not taught a lot of stuff and you don't hear about a lot of stuff and Sometimes your preacher or father or whomever is teaching you things. Sometimes you really don't hear about certain things or you're not understanding the whole picture. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, the destruction. When you're reading about that or you're listening to the story, especially when you're younger, you're not grasping that concept that that God called down his angels, because when you see the artwork, you're seeing fire coming down from the sky in a young person's mind. You're thinking, oh, he's raining down. Um, maybe there's a volcano nearby or there's comets that are coming from the sky it's not a concept that a young person can grasp, but God called Michael down and said, destroy those two cities, wipe them off, the, wipe them off the earth. Don't want to see them anymore. They're not listening. Boom. Done. That's not a concept that most people can grasp. So the other thing is in Egypt, when Moses had was pitted against the Pharaoh and it was the Pharaoh and his magicians and Moses and his God. 
And Moses said, ask the Pharaoh, let my people go. And the Pharaoh said, no. Moses said, I'm going to warn you, there will be ten plagues upon Egypt. And as he went through those ten plagues, as they got worse and worse and worse, you know, you had the pestilence, you had the frogs, you had the crickets, you had the blood in the water. But the worst one was the death of every firstborn child. Now, if you read the Bible, it says that, and that one missed every house that had lamb's blood over the top of each door. But who really did that? That's the question. Now, it's theorized what it was is that because of every firstborn child, they wanted that child to be healthy and strong. They feel that it was a, um, there was something in the wheat of the bread that made the children sick, but it doesn't explain why it was the Egyptian children and not the Hebrew children. So that being said, those are not, it's not, that's not something that you would think an angel would do. You know, you think of angels as these wonderful spiritual beings that would protect children, not take their lives. Even and and even in there, even in the Bible, it says that it's about uh, protect God um, or Jesus uh, is a protector of children, but he just wiped out the firstborn of every G- Egyptian child. So does that make sense to anybody? No, but that's what hap- That's what happens. So that being said, go back to my show. In Supernatural, if you ask Dean about an angel, he'll look, he's, he'll look that person straight in the eye and he'll be like, angels are dicks. And, you know, God forbid, you know, I'm crossing myself right now, you know, for saying that. But, you know, when you think of an angel, that's not what you're thinking of. You're not thinking of an angel that's going to come down and take somebody's life. You are thinking of angels, the sweet little cherubs that, you know, you see on the cards and stuff like that. Not some, not somebody that's going to come down and rain vengeance on a village. That, that's not what you're thinking of. What you're thinking of is somebody who is going to be your protector, be your guardian angel. Um, so anyways, but make no mistake, the angels and demons are powerful, but only God is omni, uh, omnipotent. All angelic, angelic power is subject to God's power and purpose. Even the devil, who is not the equal and opposite power of God. And see, and that's somewhere where people get a little confused because they think God, then they think the devil. They're not on the same playing field by no means. God could snap his fingers and boom. God, who is contra dualism, his power, uh, um, the devil, His power is not infinite. He does not possess divine attributes. At most, Satan is equal and opposite power of the archangel Michael. So that's something to keep to keep in mind. Um, But I mean, that being said. Angels and demons, yes, can possess humans. Demons, on one hand, don't need your permission. Angels, on the other hand, need the permission from God or yours and or yours. So if if that I hope that answered your questions. Um, It was definitely interesting reading that stuff, especially the angel possession, because I was under the impression that they just needed your permission. 
not gods. So that was pretty cool reading about that. To end on this note, I'm hoping to have a couple episodes out this week, three episodes out. That's the goal. Whether or not it'll happen, I hope everybody has a wonderful holiday, wonderful Christmas, happy Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah, and a very, very happy new year. God, I hope everybody's new year, happy 2020. That is one thing that I am going to talk about, superstitions of ringing in the new year. That's going to be one of them. Our next one coming up is going to be Christmas Mysteries. That'll be the next one. And then uh, Superstitions for the New Year. Those are going to be the next two episodes after Angels and Demons. So with that being said, I am going to hop off here. And like I said, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa. And I look forward to a very, very happy new year. Don't forget, look for us on Podbean, on Twitter, Spotify. Check us out on Facebook, all things eerie, eerie with three E's. Please let your friends know. Leave us some messages. Um, Got any questions? Please feel free. This is Kathy, and I'm signing out. Bye.